Come on, let's give God some praise in the house. Come on, no patty cakes neither, guys. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, put your hands together. Let's give God some praise in this house. Come on, he's the one that rescued you, delivered you, set you free, healed your marriage, healed your body. Come on, he delivered you from that bondage that incarcerated you. He loved you when nobody else would love you. Come on, he went where nobody else would go. We're talking about Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. You wonder why we praise like we praise. Well, you'd have to bend where we've been to know what he brought us out of to have a praise like this. You see, when you started enough dope that would fill this building up and you're still here to testify of the delivering power of God, it'll put a dance in your step, friend. It'll put a shout in your voice. Come on, when you drank enough to sink a battleship, but you're still here to testify of the delivering power of God, let me tell you, that'll give you something to shout about. When your wife for 31 years is sitting right here and God brought you through hell and back, it's enough to make you shout in the house today. You wonder why we dance like we dance. You wonder why we worship like we worship. It's because we got a God that's been a present help in a time of trouble. Woo! He's been our counselor, our way maker, our redeemer, and a friend that stood closer than a brother. Amen. Come on, he's worthy to be praised. Well, you can be seated tonight and open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. And I don't want to take a lot of time tonight doing a lot of preliminaries. I really want to get into the Word tonight, and I don't know that I'm going to be long. But guys, at one of the most difficult times in my life, and when I tell you one of the most difficult times, guys, most of you might know my testimony. I come out of a lifestyle of drug addiction and alcoholism, womanizing. Uh, I was chief among sinners. In, in, in 1990, I would have been what the apostle Paul said as chief among sinners. There's things that I just don't tell everybody. There's things that I did that I'm ashamed of. There was a lifestyle I lived, but I was lost, and I thought it was right. I thought it was life. But ultimately, God invaded my life September 2nd, 1990, and forever transformed me. And I didn't think there was anything that I could ever go through as bad as the things I did prior to getting saved. But several years ago, about 10 years ago, I went through one of the most challenging times of my life. God required of me to leave a ministry that Lisa and I had spent our lifetime building. And God asked me to walk away from it, not knowing what the future would hold, not knowing the consequences of that decision. We made that decision, and we walked away, and our life spiraled downwardly so fast that it was absolutely mind-blowing at how bad things could go south in just a minute. And Lisa and I were probably the lowest point we've ever been in in our, in our 20, uh, almost 30 years of ministry. And, and the truth is, is Pastor Todd and Karen scooped us up with loving hands, and they were there for us and walked us through the greatest challenges of our life. And guys, we went from living in a huge house on a hill, and I went from flying from church to church in a helicopter to not even being able to buy supper at the dollar menu at McDonald's. And guys, when you go from that extreme to another extreme, and we knew what it was like to be poor. We knew what it was like to be in need because, listen, when you waste your life with drug addiction, you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and have fronted three weeks of paychecks and not even have the money to buy supper with the rest of the week. You know what it's like to not have money if you've been in that place. We knew what it was like to be broke. But the fact is, is we had never been in that place as believers in our life. And we went from doing what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it to absolutely having nothing. And there were days when we wouldn't know what we were going to do that next week. And guys, this is the truth. From Pastor Todd and Karen Smith, there was a check in our mailbox every time that we were at a broken place in our life. They sowed into our life. When our friends walked down on us, when people left over the lies and the scandals that other people said, they were there for us. They believed in us, and they defended us. And today, I just want to honor your pastors here today and let them know how much you mean to Lisa and I. We forever love you, brother. You are forever our friend. We thank you for being with us, for being with my beautiful daughter and my little boy during those most difficult times of our lives. Thank you for believing in us. 
Luke chapter 4, this is not a planned sermon tonight. I had a well-worked-out message tonight, but during worship I felt like God wanted to say some things tonight out of the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And the Bible said, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. Now, I want you to understand something today. There's a lot of people don't believe the Spirit of God can move in a religious atmosphere. But there is no place on the face of the earth more religious than a, than a Jewish synagogue. If there was any place that stood in opposition of what Christ came to do, it was in that synagogue that day. But I got news for you. For those of you who are scared of a religious devil, God is greater than the spirit of religion. God is greater than any hindering spirit. And when God gets ready to show up. God's going to show up despite the division, despite the opposition, and despite the resistance. God is greater than the power of religion. I believe God wants to bring revival, but he's got to have a people that understand the magnitude of how great he is. And God is greater than religion. God is greater than skepticism. God is greater than those that would analyze and skepticize. God is bigger than even a Jewish synagogue. Jesus stepped up in the middle of a religious atmosphere. And one of the greatest miracles you'll ever read in the Bible, and no, it wasn't raising Lazarus from the dead. It was when there was a sinner woman who was a scandalous sinner, considered a prostitute, ran into a Pharisee's house. Didn't run into a church full of spirit-filled believers. Ran into a Pharisee's house that was filled with cynicism and finger-pointing. Because when she walked in, old Simon the Pharisee said, if these people, if Jesus were a prophet and knew what kind of woman this was, some of you are thinking right now, I have a prophetic word. Some of you are thinking right now, if half the people in this room knew how bad I was. Okay, I got news for you. God's bigger than hypocrites. God's bigger than finger pointing. God's bigger than an atmosphere of judgment. And what God's going to do in your life, he's going to do it despite what other people think about you. Woo! See, Jesus didn't deliver that woman in an atmosphere that was filled with believers. He was in an atmosphere that was charged with, with self-righteousness, with judgment, with cynicism. And in the midst of it, Jesus heals this woman whose sins were great and many. He delivers her and sets her free from the bondage that had captivated her all of her life. I got news for you. God's going to deliver you tonight. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what hell hole you climbed out of. I don't care how great the sin in your life. God is bigger than the power of your sin, and he came to set the captive free. The Bible says that he walked into the synagogue. He opened up the book of Isaiah, chapter, uh, verse 17 says. He delivered unto them the book of Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. Say this with me. The Spirit of the Lord. Now, y'all got to do better than that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I could stop right there and preach all night long. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are, that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible said he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him, and he began to say to them, This day, Shout it with me this day. The scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Father, tonight, I pray that you take this old frail, inadequate, unable, vessel of flesh and that you anoint it with the power of the Holy Spirit that tonight it would preach 
and speak the life-giving word of your glorious gospel. And tonight, that the very image of Christ would be revealed in the hearts of every man and woman in this place tonight. To the point, God, that every shackle, that every doubt, Father, Lord, that every demon would have to flee the hearts and the minds and the lives of the people that hear this word. That, God, there would be freedom and liberty for every person in the sound of my voice tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, we understand that this is an Old Testament scripture that Jesus said that today this scripture, this, this, this word written 400 years prior to my coming is fulfilled in your ears this day. But I want you to see something. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of this scripture. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, understanding that he was fully God incarnate in the flesh. God himself was sitting in front of them, but yet he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. You must take notice that Jesus' ministry did not really begin until he was baptized in the river Jordan. And the Bible says that the spirit of God descended on him as in the bodily form of a dove. Now, I want you to to take note of that. I believe that he was fully God and could have done anything he wanted to do. But as a pattern set for you and I, he went through the same procedures that we go through that we would have a revelation and an understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. The miracles that he was about to, uh, to bring revelation to and understanding to were a result of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to understand something tonight, that Jesus shed his blood for you and I, not just so that our sins could be forgiven, that we might go to heaven. Now, guys, I want to tell you, I'm looking forward to heaven. Heaven's going to be amazing. Heaven is going to be glorious. Heaven is going to be beyond anything in our imagination and I'm like Paul sometimes I'm in betwixt between the two but everything Jesus did for us was not simply for us to go to heaven you see the reason that our sins were forgiven was not just simply heaven but God had to forgive our sins that he could send the Holy Spirit to inhabitate and live on the inside of us in other words, God said, I want to inhabit my people, but they got a sin problem, and I can't live in a dirty temple. I've got to cleanse the vessel that I can move from heaven to earth. Whoa, I need to preach in here today. I've got to have a vessel that is sinless, that I can habitate, that the fullness of God can live on the inside of you. The same God that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same God that parted the Red Sea. The same God that opened the blind eyes. The same God that healed the lepers. The same God that made the cripple walk. is the same God that lives on the inside of you. You see, a church has got to have the revelation that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is more than speaking in tongue. It's power to move mountains and transform lives. Jesus said, if you don't believe me for the words that I speak, believe me for the works that I do, for they testify that I am of the Father. Somebody say, believe me for the works. Say it again, believe me for the works. Now let me say something to you. He said, the works that I do and greater shall. Whoa, somebody say, I. Come on, greater works shall I. Greater work shall I because he gone to the Father. Guys, the power of the Holy Ghost is given to you and I that we can do the works that Jesus started to do in the earth today. We got to have more than a good sermon and a good song service. We got to have more than a good program. We need the power of God in the church today. There are too many broken people. There are too many people bound by the incarcerating power of drugs and alcohol. There are too many marriages that are being destroyed by the power of Satan. There are too many lives that are being wrecked for us to just be preaching and singing. We need power in the church. Guys, we need a power that Paul said, I didn't come with an excellency of speech, but a demonstration of the power. 
because there are broken lives that are hanging in the balance. There are marriages hanging in the balance. There's a young generation hanging in the balance. We just saw in Parkland, Florida, the devastating power of sin in the earth. It's not a political problem. It's not a gun problem. It's a drug. Listen, it's a sin problem in America. And guys, we can't fight sin with politics. We can't fight sin with law. We got to fight sin with the accomplishment of the cross at Calvary. God has got to have a generation of believers that are not timid, that they're not walking with their King James Bible tucked under their arm and armed with a few scriptures. we got to have a generation of people that are armed with the power of the Holy Spirit and have God's Word hidden in their hearts. we got to have a generation of people that understand that when I show up, God shows up. God said, listen to this, out of your belly flows rivers of living water. We're praying God send the river. God said, I sent the river. I'm waiting on somebody to release it. We're praying for revival. God said, I'm waiting on you to be revival. Let me say that again. We're praying for revival. God said, I'm waiting on you to be the revival. Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me. Now watch this. Somebody say to bring the good news. Say it with me, the good news to the poor. Let me tell you who the poor are in life. The poor is everybody in here that's facing a, a battle and a problem that's greater than you have the resources to meet. You see, every one of us are poor in certain ways in our life. You may have a million dollars in the bank and still be poor. Because, see, you can, you can have a million dollars in the bank and be bound to porn, and you're poor. Because you got no power to break that bondage in your life. Listen, you can have a million dollars in the bank and have a temper like a wildcat, and you're poor. Why? Because you can't conquer that in your life. You can't buy your way out of that, of that bondage in your life. And the truth is there's not a person in this room that's not struggling. There's not a person in this room that don't have a battle going on in your life. You may dress it up on Sunday morning. You may make it look cute on Tuesday. But I promise you behind the scene, when the doors are closed, there's brokenness in our lives. There's bondages that need to be broken in our lives. There's habits that need to be annihilated. There's weaknesses that God needs to conquer and overcome. But we are trying within our flesh to fix our weaknesses. And guys, can I be brutally honest with you? I'm afraid the church is trying to fix a sin problem in America with our flesh. You can't fix a sin problem with your own abilities. It's going to require something greater, more powerful. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to break the bondages and to break the addiction and to break the habits in our life and off of the lives of other people. You want to be free from porn? God will set you free. You want to be free from lying? God will set you free. You want to be free of that root of bitterness? God will set you free. You want to be free of that addiction? God will set you free. Because there's another heroin created that the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit cannot annihilate. There's no brokenness in your life that God can't heal. There's no wounds afflicted on you by religion that God can't heal. There's no bitterness that you're in right now because of the betrayal of family that God can't heal. There's nothing you face that the power of God can't heal that tonight. Right here and right now. Not 12 steps, one step, baby. I believe in using whatever will get you through. But I believe that God can do in a minute what we could not do in 10 years of self-effort. I believe that right now, in an old-fashioned altar, that God can heal a marriage that's riddled with adultery, that's riddled with betrayal, that's broken in mistrust, that God in a moment right now can restore that marriage, heal that brokenhearted, and restore the trust once again. See, I believe in the power of God to transform lives. See, I believe that right now, 
the greatest heroin addict in all of Dawsonville, Georgia, can be delivered right now. See that the power of God will deliver you that you'll never put a needle in your arm ever again. That right now, that God can break the power of 20 years of alcoholism. That God at a moment and an instant can restore what years of sin has stripped from your life because that's what God does. And the power of the Holy Spirit is upon every one of us in this room to do exactly what Jesus did. The Bible said to preach the good news to the poor. I'm going to preach one more thing, and I'm going to give an invitation in just a moment, but I want you to hear this. The Bible said to heal the brokenhearted. Shout this with me. Heal the brokenhearted. The next thing he said is to set the captives free. But see, he didn't preach these in the, in the order he preached them for no reason. Because sometimes for us to be delivered from the bondages in our life, we got to be healed from the brokenness of our past. There's a lot of people who come to church and they cover up their wounds. They dress up and look pretty on Sunday morning, but when they go home on Sunday night, they're still broken. Nobody sees the scars. Nobody sees the memories. Nobody sees the brokenness of your life that's keeping you captivated, that's keeping you incarcerated to memories, to bondage, to, to, to brokenness, to resentment. And some of you can't even have a proper relationship because of the hurt and the wounds of your past. You want to love your family. You want to love your husband. You want to love your wife. You want to be able to trust again. You want to be able to be vulnerable again. But you can't because the enemy afflicted you with the intentions of keeping you crippled for the rest of your life. You ever wonder why that our nation is plagued with addiction? Guys, I spent the last 28 years preaching and ministering to those that are incarcerated to the power of addiction. I've done it from rehabs to prisons. That we spent our life bringing people out of the captivity to the bondages of sin. And guys, in a rehab center, we had a 100-bed men's facility at one time. I had a 30-bed women's facility at one time. And out of the men that we saw come through and the women that we come, come through those ministries, over 75% of those men and women that came for treatment to addiction have been molested as children. See, we really don't want to talk about the power and the afflictions that the enemy afflicted on us, that we spend the rest of our life self-medicating. And let me tell you something, some people don't self-medicate with drugs. Some people self-medicate with their behavior. Because when you have had your self-esteem and your self-worth robbed because of abandonment issues, because a mother walked out on you at three, because mom and daddy divorced and left you and they never fulfilled their parental obligations in your life, because a husband beat on you, because a wife cheated on you, because an uncle molested you, we don't understand the damage that that has afflicted on people's lives. And it's easy for us that's never been there to say to pick up the pieces and move on. It's easy for those that don't feel the pain to say you need to get your act together. But there are people that have been deeply wounded. And though I don't believe, now watch this. <coughs> I don't believe that we need to use the afflictions we've endured as an excuse for our bad behavior. But the truth is we weren't there when that man went into that four-year-old little girl's room and did what he did. It's easy to point our fingers at a homosexual, but you weren't there when he was six years old. You weren't there when she was seven years old. You weren't there to see what was done to her. You wasn't there to see her trust or his trust violated and him, and him totally taken advantage of by somebody that should have been responsible. But the Bible said he came to heal the brokenhearted. You see, God wants to heal the source and the problem behind broken behavior. Oh, I want to preach in here today. You see, because what you don't understand, that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
Say that with me. The wages of sin is death. I know that if I live in sin, it's going to catch up with me. But what we don't realize is that other people's sins done against us is also death. That the sins that other people commit against us create brokenness and hurt and pain in our own lives because the wages of sin is death. And some of you have been betrayed by pastors. You've been betrayed by husbands. You've been betrayed by Christian people. And it afflicted you and wounded you because the wages of sin is death. But this preacher came to Dawsonville, Georgia, to give somebody some good news. You may be broken, but we got a God that's in the healing business. You may be afflicted, but we got a God that's able to heal whatever's broken in your life. Because some people are captive, captive to unforgiveness, captives to drugs, captive to anger, captive to all kind of things, low self-esteem, low self-worth, broken relationships, alternative lifestyles, because they've never been healed from the brokenness of their past or the afflictions of other people. And sometimes those that have not been afflicted are very quick to tell you to get over it and never took the time to minister to you what Christ did on the cross. And I want to tell every broken, every wounded, and every afflicted person in this room that God hasn't forgotten you. And God will not leave you in that state of mind if you will allow him to heal your brokenness tonight. If I could stop injustice, I would. If I could stop the wrong that evil people do, I would. But if I could stop the evil if that evil people do, then I would be greater than God. Because what we fail to realize is that even though God is a just God, even though God is an all-powerful God, He gave man the ability to make their own decisions. Could he stop it? Yes, but he don't. But God didn't promise us bad things wouldn't happen to good people. God didn't promise us that injustice wouldn't happen in the world. Guys, when I was 10 years old, my grandfather who helped raise me, I spent every day of my life on a farm with my grandfather. My grandfather had cattle. My grandfather had a large farm. We had pigs and we had cattle and we had chickens and, and there were chicken houses and we worked the farm. My dad traveled for a large poultry equipment company that some of you may have known as Potman but became chore time. My dad was a southeastern sales manager and he left on Monday and never came home till Friday. And my grandfather was with me every day of my life through my childhood. I rode the tractor with him. I shot my first gun with him. I learned to drive with him. Everything that I became as a little boy to 10 years old was contributed to me because of my grandfather. And my grandfather had a nervous breakdown when I was 10 years old. And my dog had pinned a cow, a calf that had gotten out of the pasture up in a, in a pen. And, and my dog had pinned it in there. And my grandfather wanted me to pick the calf up and put it over the fence. But I was too small. And I was scared of the calf. And it was kicking. And my grandfather got angry. So he picked up the calf, throwed it over the fence, and turned on my dog and tried to kill my dog. And you'd have to understand, I had worked all summer to buy this dog. And this dog was a chow. And, 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 and I had uh, this dog was my best friend at the time. And I'm I'm just a 10-year-old little boy, and my grandfather's killing my dog, and I'm running up to him, Pa, Pa, please, quit, quit. Don't kill my dog, and he turned on me. And he began to beat me profusely with his fist, and he began to beat on me and frail me until I thought I was going to die before he quit beating on me. And I didn't understand as a 10-year-old boy why my grandpa would do that to me. And I didn't understand him. When my dad got home on Friday, he and my grandfather got in a huge conflict and an argument. Later that weekend on Sunday afternoon, my grandfather ran off into the pasture and went out into the fields and my grandmother called my dad and said, Bob, you got to get down there. Said, Pa's run off in the field, don't know what's wrong with him. We piled in the truck, me and my dad and, and, and uh, my grandmother's brother and we went down in the fields, found my grandpa and he was shaking in a profuse fit. 
and he was shaking all over and he was out of his head. And my dad went to try to get him and put him in the truck and he threw my dad through the air like something off a television program. And I'm a 10-year-old boy standing in astonishment. And I said, Pa, Pa, please get in the truck. He said, boy, you're the cause of this. Later, my dad was able to get him in the truck. We put him in the house. My dad was on the telephone with my grandmother talking to the doctor, trying to get an ambulance there. My grandfather jumps out of a chair and said, I told you to get off that phone. Ain't no doctors coming. He runs through the house. I grab him. My grandmother's brother grabs him. He drags us through the living room, goes into the bedroom, pulls open the, the arm wire, pulls out a 380, and while I'm holding him, blows his brains out. In the arms of a 10-year-old little boy, I watch my grandfather fall to the, to the bed, blood pouring out of his head, and I looked at him, and I said, Paul, what have you done? He said, oh, Lance, Lance, what have I done? What have I done? That moment, I was scarred for life. That moment, I said, how can a good God allow my grandfather to kill himself? How can a good God allow such to happen to such a good man? Why did my grandfather snap? Why did he beat me? Why did him and my dad get in conflict? Why did my grandfather kill himself in my arms? For years, I ran in anger against God. I denied God. I said God didn't exist. If God was a good God, why would God let my grandfather die through a self-inflicted gunshot to the head? And the sad part about that was is at his funeral, 10-year-old little boy, Weeping over the death of his grandfather, feeling responsible for that man's suicide because of the words that echoed in my head for 20 years, you caused this. I heard church people gathered around the funeral home. Well, you know he's in hell. He killed himself. And I said, why would anybody ever want to serve a God like this? Why would anybody want to serve a God that would let a man kill himself and then know that God would let him roast in hell because he shot himself? Knowing that my grandfather had had a nervous breakdown, knowing that the man that pulled that trigger did not know what he did, There are many of you in this room right now that said if God was a good God, why did he let this happen? If God was a good God, why did my mama die? If God is a good God, then why are church people so mean? If God is a good God, see, I know that offends Christians, but we need to get real tonight because ministry ain't just to the saved. Because there's some little boys out there that don't understand, that need some preachers, that understand the word enough to be able to give somebody who's asking questions a real answer. Because, see, God don't exclude people from injustice. You and I, saved or unsaved, have the ability to make our own decision, right or wrong. And God never said that bad things wouldn't happen to you. God never promised that people wouldn't be molested, that women wouldn't be raped, that that spouses wouldn't have affairs. God never promised you your heart wouldn't get broken. God never told you you wouldn't experience devastating loss. But let me tell you what God did promise. God promised I'll be with you always. God promised I will comfort those that mourn. God promised he would heal those that are broken. God promised that whatever you've been through, that he is greater than your pain. He is greater than your affliction. He is greater than your loss. And if you will let God, he will heal you and restore you. That whatever injustices have been done to you, 
God is a God of restoration and God is a God that, that is a God of retribution. God will repay whatever injustices are done. If we're willing to come to God and say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm afflicted. God, I'm hurting and I don't understand why. September 2nd, 1990 in my living room. I'd done enough drugs to kill most human beings. I was coming home from my tire store in Cartersville, Georgia. Vince Gill come on the radio. Some of you may know the story of that, the song that says that nobody answered when I called your name. That day in that truck coming back home from Cartersville, Georgia to Lake Arrowhead Country Club in Waleska, Georgia, that song came on the radio and the Spirit of God sat down in the cab of my truck and the Spirit of God began to deal with me. And I knew at that moment in my life that this was my time, that God was after me, and that if I kept running, that I was going to fall in the hands of devastation. That night, I went home. My best friend, just a few days prior to that, had put a 300 Weatherby under his chin and killed himself because of a broken marriage that he had gone through. Lisa had left me and taken our baby daughter at the time because of my reckless lifestyle. I'm riding down the road and God's after me. How many of you know what it's like for God to get after you? You can't get high enough to escape him. You can't snort enough dope or put enough needles in your arm or drink enough whiskey to get away from the conviction of God because God will follow you where Christians won't ever follow you. He'll follow you in a club. And when God gets after you, he'll wake you up in the middle of the night and he'll pursue you with an incarcerating love that will not let go. I didn't know what lied in store for me that night. But with anger filling my heart at the loss of the two most important people of my life at suicide, I shook my fist toward God and told him I hated him. I cussed him with every foul language I could cuss him with. But I said, God, if you're real, change me. God, if you're real, heal me. God, if you're real, change me and I'll live the rest of my life for you. I said, but I got a problem, God. I like cocaine. I like liquor, and I like women. See, that's, some of you struggle with that tonight. Because, see, the way I dealt with my pain is I just got high. The way I dealt with my betrayal. See, I came home, caught my wife. I, I, I was married in the world. I came home, caught my wife in the bed with another man. See, I didn't just go through a suicide. I went through betrayal and adultery. I went through hurt and heartache and pain. And I said from that moment on, another woman will never hurt me again. I said from that one moment again, nobody will ever hurt me. I hated God if there was a God. And that night I took every bit of it out on God. But I had come to the end of my rope because the wages of sin is death. And there's men and women in this room saved or unsaved. If you keep living with that brokenness in your life and you quit covering up that addiction in your life, sooner or later it's going to kill you. Sooner or later it's going to kill your family, your marriage, and your friends. But I come to tell you that Jesus don't want you to live in the hurt and the broken and the bondage no more. He come to set the captives free. I got a caboose to put on this thing. That night I said, God, if you're real, change me. I had a 357 laying on one cushion of the couch and a King James Bible on the other. And I opened that Bible up and the only thing I knew about the Bible is what's in red, Jesus said. And I flipped it open until I found something that was red and it said, if any man lose his life for my sake, he shall have life. I'd never understood anything in the Bible, especially the King Jimmy version. But that night, the Holy Spirit gave me the revelation that if I was going to have God, I had to give him my whole life. And that night, I gave him everything. That night, I said, God, if you're real, change me. I don't want the booze. I don't want the drugs. I don't want this lifestyle anymore. God, I want you, but you're going to have to deliver me from the sin that I love so much.
And that night, I put Smith and Wesson on the shelf. I left my Bible on the cushion, and I went to bed. The next morning when I got up, I went to the beer cold cooler and went to open that beer cooler, and I couldn't pull the door open because God had set me free. That night, God not only delivered me from a $250 a day cocaine habit, he not only delivered me from a lifestyle of alcoholism and wild living, but that night, God healed me from the brokenness of what happened in my life. From every affliction and every wound for the first time, I understood that God didn't promise me that life would be easy, but he promised me he would heal me. And God healed a 10-year-old broken boy that night. Listen, I was already 19 years old, but how many of you know that God is able to reach back into your past and heal what is affecting your present that is trying to destroy your future because that is the power of a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He come to set you free tonight. But some people can't be free till they have first been healed of their past. From the first day I walked in this church, I knew that there were people in this room that needed to be healed. There were people that needs God to heal what you spent a lifetime trying to get over. Tonight, God's going to heal in a moment what you spent a lifetime trying to get beyond. And not only is God going to heal some folks tonight, but God's going to empower church to be a river of living water that's going to flow to the nations because there is a river that flows from the throne of God, people. And the Bible said that it brings life to everywhere it flows. And the Bible said that the fruit that it causes to come forth and the leaves of the trees that causes it to come forth, the Bible said will bring healing to the nation. And I believe that God has a church in Dawsonville, Georgia, that will be a river that will bring healing to the nations of the world. I believe that God is getting ready to move you from a place of spectating to a place of being on the front lines to be used for the glory and the honor of God. That you'll lay hands on the broken and they'll be healed. That you'll bring deliverance and restoration to those who are afflicted and incarcerated. That God will use your frailty and God will use you in the workplace. God will use you in the marketplace until you become a river of living water everywhere you go. So God's going to do two things tonight. God's going to heal and God's going to feel. Tonight, God's going to deliver and save. And God's going to empower people to move from spectators to participators. See, there's a river that flows from the throne of God. Ezekiel saw it. Can I, can I get a little music somewhere? Anybody? Thank you. There's a river that flows out of the throne of God. Ezekiel saw it. He saw it flowing out of the temple of God. The Bible talks about in Revelation 21 that there's a river that flows from the throne of God. And its waters bring life to everywhere it flows. And it brings fruit. And it brings leaves that bring healing to the nations. Guys, that temple is not in some third dimension beyond the Milky Way. And it wasn't found in the Old Testament only. That Old Testament temple was nothing to type in a shadow of the temple that God has on the earth today. Can I, I wish I had time to preach to you about the ark tonight. Everybody's looking for an ark to be restored in Jerusalem, but there's an ark right here tonight, and everything that was in that ark is in this ark tonight. Oh, I wish I had time tonight. The Bible said that the church, not only as a corporate body, but you as an individual are the temple of God. And the Bible said out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. Let me tell you something tonight. If you want to release that river in your life, then you let Jesus establish his throne in your heart tonight. What does that mean, Pastor? That means do more than acknowledge him as Savior. That means submit to him as Lord. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we allow God to establish the throne in our hearts, a river begins to flow out of our bellies. God only needs submissive lives to release a torrential river that will change the contour of our culture and society. 
See, rivers are what created the Grand Canyon. Rivers cut away at the earth. And the river of God cuts away at the banks of culture and the banks of society, the banks of Hollywood that's trying to dictate to us what's morally acceptable or unacceptable. And instead of letting Hollywood contour our culture, the church will begin to contour this nation once again. God just needs some people to say, Jesus, I want you as more than just a fire insurance policy. I want you as Lord of my life. Because when you become available to God, rivers are going to begin to flow. Before I pray for the church, before these pastors come and begin to pray for you tonight, I want every broken person in this room tonight. I want every person who's incarcerated by the power of an addiction. You see, I got up here with my lovely wife of 31 years and I told you my junk. I'm not proud of my past, but I'm proud of the one who brought me through it and gave me the power to overcome it. There are people in this room tonight that you've, like me, you played a lot of games with God. You repeated a lot of sinner's prayers. You went to church. I got sprinkled as a Methodist and baptized as a Baptist. But if I'd have died, I'd have went to hell. I'd never been born again. I was incarcerated by the bondages of sin that I loved dearly because that sin is what helped me to survive the pain of my past. I don't blame my past for my bad behavior because I'm responsible for my own actions. But the truth is I was afflicted and I was wounded and I was hurt and I was just trying to survive. I didn't know how to overcome. When I tried to talk to people, they just said I was a little boy. You don't need to talk about that. Everybody shunned the fact that my grandfather blew his brains out. Nobody wanted to talk about the fact that he said that I was responsible. Nobody wanted to talk about the fact of the horrible things that he said to all of us before he did it. Let's just sweep it under the rug and get over it. Broken inside. Went to church on Sunday, broke inside. Some of you go to church, but when you go home, you're still broke. Nobody else at church knows it, but you, your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. Because you don't love them with a vulnerable love. There's walls all up around you. There's still anger inside of you. You don't understand. I deal with men that are in prison for life every day of my life. I deal with them because they're there over fits of anger. And they're full of rage and anger. Because of what was done to them. And the results of it was murder and horrible acts of crime and sin. But at a moment, because there's somebody that still believes that by stripes we were healed. And I've watched the most hardened men melt. I've watched broken hearts afflicted with wounds calloused by anger and hatred melt like wax in a flame of fire. God will heal you tonight. God will deliver you tonight. God will restore to you tonight what the enemy has stolen. He'll cause those chains that have incarcerated your mind and your behavior for so many years to fall to the ground tonight, powerless, if you'll let him. I want you to stand with me all over the house tonight. I know some of you may have been expecting a, a Holy Ghost message tonight. But I don't know how clear I could have preached what the Holy Ghost came to do. When we want the Holy Ghost and we want the anointing to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to deliver people from the satanic power of Satan. To open the blind of the eyes. You'll see an outpouring of the Spirit of God that'll be so without measure 
that it'll absolutely run over these high walls of this beautiful sanctuary. And they will run like a rushing river to this city and to our nations. I want every man and woman in this room to say, Pastor Lance, I'm broke tonight. I've been wounded. I'm carrying scars in my life. Scars that I've never talked about. Scars that I've hidden for years and I've dressed them up with church clothes. I've dressed them up with anger. I've dressed them up with friends. But when the lights go out and I'm alone, I'm afflicted. I'm wounded. And some of you are incarcerated because of those wounds. And you know and I know that if you keep living in that state of brokenness, it's eventually going to kill you. And it's eventually going to steal everything good in your life like it stole from me, my wife, my daughter, my family, my wealth. It took and it took and it took because that's what sin does whether afflicted on you by others or committed by yourself, sin will kill you. God wants to heal you tonight. God wants to set you free. Every head bowed, every eye closed, God sent me to Dawsonville, Georgia tonight for somebody that's been broke, somebody that injustice found you, afflicted you, and scarred you. If tonight this message has pierced your heart and you know that God wants you healed, you're tired of being angry, you're tired of being bound, you're tired of suffering, and you're ready for it to stop and for God to heal you, I want you right where you are, raise your hand, raise it up high tonight. Every man and woman in this room that's broken tonight. Every man and woman in this room tonight that said, Pastor, I'm wounded and afflicted. I need healing. I want every one of you tonight that raised your hand to do one more thing while people are praying. I want you by faith tonight to get out from behind your seat and I want you to join me in this altar as quickly as you can. Come on right now. If you let the devil lie to you, come on, you'll sit right there and stay wounded. I want you to get out from behind your seat and come right now. If you raise your hand, I want you to join me in this altar tonight. God's about to heal you. God's about to set you free.